as I was growing up, my mom was very careful to instill in my brother and myself patriotism. She believed in patriotism much. Uh, my dad was in the Vietnam War. Uh, my brother grew up and he ended up being in the Iraqi War in 2003. And so we come from a, a line of, of veterans. And my mom was very careful to instill in us a grateful attitude for the freedoms we have in America. And, and I'd like to share a few things this morning from God's Word. I'm going to, I want to share a few statements made by uh, some of our founding forefathers. There is a growing trend in America today to eradicate any semblance of our founding fathers relying upon God. And it's, 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 it's a wrong philosophy. Because as the writings, we look at the writings of some of our, some of our founding, founding fathers, they relied upon God very, very much so in the beginning of this nation of ours. John Adams wrote, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations, speaking of July 4th, as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. You will think me transported with euthia, youth enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means and that prosperity will triumph in that day's transaction, even although we should rue it, which I trust in God we shall not. Incidentally, John Adams believed that we ought to celebrate Independence Day on July 2nd, rather than July 4th. And then, whether coincidence or not, on July 4th, 1826, 50 years after the Declaration of Independence was formally adopted, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson both passed away within hours of each other. On July 4th, 1831, five years later, James Monroe passed away on July 4th. John Adams here wrote about the the devotion to God Almighty. A writer here has studied... History of nations. Now, I want you to compare, make the comparison here to America. Okay? He says, when a nation begins, they go from bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to complacency. 
from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and from dependence back into bondage. I thought that was pretty good. And then I began to think, where is America today? In that plan of how things develop through historical nations. If Christians do not take a stand for God in America and in any nation, who will? Who will? If Christians will not take a stand for that which is right and a stand against that which is evil in any nation, who will? The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, July 4th, 1776, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm going to take those last three phrases, words or phrases, and make the spiritual application to that. The writers wrote, Thomas Jefferson along with others, wrote that among the, the, the rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Granted to us. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to come into your house this morning and open your word. We thank you for the freedom we have. And I pray that you would quiet our hearts from the many activities of this day, this week, that we would be able to give our hearts attentively to the Holy Spirit now. May these be your words that are spoken and not my own. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your Bibles to the book of John, and we're going to be in three or four different passages. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Among these are life. Life. John 14, verse 6. Says Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man that cometh unto the Father, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Among these unalienable rights that were granted to us by the Declaration, among these are life. This was not a new concept. God is the one who gives life. We go all the way back and the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life. He gave him physical life. But when Adam and the woman at the time, and I'm not being disrespectful, she did not have a name at this time, when they ate of the fruit, 
they began to die physically. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we then see that God gives them the promise of a redeemer. Life. We are here today because we have physical life. If we did not have physical life, we would not be sitting where we are. We have physical life. But there is something as much more important, and that is the spiritual life that God gives. And, and, and the spiritual life, in John 14, verse 6, Christ speaking says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is only one way to Jesus Christ. We can't do anything good enough to earn our way into heaven. We can't keep the whole Old Testament law. We cannot satisfy God's requirements to get us to heaven. We must come God's way. I mean, after all, why should God allow us into his heaven if we don't want to come his way? Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He gives this life this eternal life to anyone who requests it and asks him for it. Go back to John chapter 10. Back a few pages, John chapter 10. Beginning at verse 1. It's a common story that we are well familiar with probably. John chapter 10, verse 1 says, Verily, verily, or truly, 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 Christ says, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Years ago, I heard an evangelist speaking about this passage. And he gave an example of a personal example of when he was meeting with a sheep farmer. And this this evangelist said to the sheep farmer, he says, tell me something about sheep. I mean, teach me about sheep. The master of the, of the sheep went to the sheep pen and said, watch this. He says, that name, that, the name of that sheep is, and he called it by name. He says, call his name. He did. The sheep who was grazing did not reply, did not even respond to him. He says, now pay attention to this. He called, the master of the sheep calls that sheep by name. The sheep immediately looked up at the master. The sheep farmer said, the reason, the sheep knows my name. It does not know your name. It does not know who you are. It knows my voice. It does not know your voice. That's why the sheep replied or responded to me and not to you. It doesn't know your voice. 
Verse 5 in John chapter 10 says, A stranger will they not follow, the sheep will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. They sense the danger. Verse 6 says, This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them, Here's the application, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief cometh not, but to pour to steal, to kill, to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now we're kind of jumping ahead here a little bit on point number three, on the pursuit of happiness. But in verse 10, he says, Christ says, I am come that I can give life. Christ says, I came to call sinners to repentance. And that it might be abundant life. The word abundant is overflowing with life. That it would be seen. Let me ask you, have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you allowed him to give you eternal life? We're told in the book of Peter that Christ does not want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. Have you allowed him entrance into your heart, into your life? Do you have this eternal life that Christ only Christ can give? Among these rights that the declaration included was life, and that God freely gives if we ask him to is life. The second one is liberty. Turn over your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to use a different word here than liberty, freedom. Freedom and liberty. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, Paul writes, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And I realize that he's talking about here, don't be entangled again with trying to keep the Old Testament law, but let's look at the beginning of that verse. It says, stand fast, therefore, therefore you stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. When we have this life from God, he gives us freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from ourselves, freedom to do whatever we want to? No. I get in my car and I can go out here on this, this highway out here, I could drive down the road at 90 miles an hour. I never have. I could. I, I probably would not be too long before I see those little red, blue flashing lights in my rear view mirror. But officer, I have freedom to do whatever I want. No, you don't. (laughs) 
We have freedom to do what we ought to do. Sometimes we, we get this construed with, we, we can do whatever we want to now that I'm saved because, bless God, I'm saved. I can do what I want. No, Paul actually said, God forbid. We can't do whatever we want to do. We have freedom to obey God. We have freedom to obey God's word. We have freedom to, 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 to do what God has told us is right and not do what God has told us is wrong. That is the freedom we have in Christ. Stand fast in the liberty, in the freedom wherewith Christ hath made us free. When a person comes to know Christ as personal Savior, he sets us free. The chains fall off. We're no longer bound by sin. I like to tell my students that that a person who is saved never ever has to ever sin again. Does that mean we will sin? Yeah, we will sin. But we don't have to. Because we have all the power of God at our fingertips to present to prevent us from doing that. But we do because we choose to. Christ has set us free. We're no longer bound by Satan and bound by sin. Christ has set us free. We have freedom in Christ. Now, we are now able to obey God and, and we have the, 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 the choice and the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Christ. We can't do it on our own. It's not possible. It's only through the power of Jesus Christ. We have liberty. It says stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free. Second mentioned in the decoration. The third one, the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. What is it that you are looking for to be happy in your life? Some people look to money. If I only had one more dollar, or ten more dollars, or a hundred more dollars, I would be happy, would you? Hmm. Some people look for fame. You know what they say, one has their 15 minutes of fame. Some people look for popularity and fame to make them happy. If I could just be in the limelight, I'd be happy. Some people look to entertainment to make them happy. Oh, yeah? Did your favorite football team win the Super Bowl last year? <laughs> I, I don't know who your favorite football teams are, okay? I didn't watch it. I don't know. People look for all kinds of ways. People look for good health. Boy, if I just got for good, good health. There's nothing wrong with that. I'd just be completely happy. You know, happiness, or the Bible calls it joyfulness, can only be found through Christ. 
can only be found through Christ. Back to John chapter 10, verse 10. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, overflowing. The abundance of this life that Christ gives, and, and he only can satisfy. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice or are happy. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. That word rejoice there, the Hebrew word for rejoice there, means to brighten or cheer up. When the righteous are in authority, the people cheer up. The word mourn there in verse 2 has the idea of the people groan. And it's, and it's an it's inward response. So when the righteous are in authority, the people cheer up. They have this inward attitude of things are going great and we're happy. We're cheerful. But when the wicked rule, the people inside groan. The people are distressed. Because the wicked are in... And, and, and we, we, we look through the, the, the New Testament, and the leaders at that time were wicked, wicked governmental leaders. Where when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. People cheer up. But the wicked beareth rule, the people groan. They moan inwardly. Back to Proverbs, or flip back a few pages to Proverbs chapter 14. And I'm not going to make comments today on our leadership, whether it's local, state, national. That's for you to determine in, in your own heart. But I'm just showing you what the Bible says here in um, Proverbs 14. Verse 34, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Let that sink in. Why has God blessed America? And I believe he has over the years. I believe he has tremendously blessed America. I believe it was because our founding fathers built this nation upon the belief in an almighty God who deals in the affairs of men and women. Over and over and over we have testimony of our founding fathers who have given testimony of the way God has dealt in this nation in the beginning years. Many of them gave their lives for this very nation. Many today still give their lives for the security we have in this nation. 
where are we today in America? Where are we going to be if Christians become apathetic? As I read at the beginning. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Only God can give, only having a right relationship with Jesus Christ can give the happiness and the joyfulness that can satisfy. And I, I realize there's times that we can't always be happy. I, I understand that. That's, that's human nature. Tragedy befalls us. and you know, God doesn't expect us to be happy all the time. But he does expect us to have that joyful relationship with him that doesn't change. One more passage. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Here's the answer. Here's the answer to when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth, will the people mourn? Mourn. First Timothy chapter two. Verse one gives us the context. Paul's writing to a young Timothy who has become a pastor of probably what is to be the largest church in the world at that time. And he says, I exhort, therefore, I exhort, I, 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 I plead with you, I, I, I beseech you, Timothy, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. And that those those that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks have four different meanings, and, and two of them, at least two of them, have the idea of of literally trying to get a hold of God in our prayers, even to the point of tears. That we're 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 trying to intercede on the behalf of someone. We're we're just pouring out our hearts before God. And giving of thanks may be made for all men. And then verse 2. For kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So what's the answer? Pray for our leaders. We have no idea the, the pressure that's on them. Unless you've been there. I've never been president, not yet. We have no idea. The pressure is on them. Paul here says, pray for them. That we can lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Verse 3 says, for this, what? That we pray for them. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And it's interesting as Paul here is, is, is writing to Timothy in the second book, or second, to second, uh, second Timothy, Paul is about to be martyred by more than likely Nero himself. As Paul is writing this, Paul makes the application in verse 4. As Paul is writing this toward, toward a time of great persecution, he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God and our, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
We're not sure. History doesn't record for sure, as far as I know, that Paul ever appeared directly before Nero. But I do know this. If Paul appeared before Nero, there's one thing Nero knew. The gospel. I exhort that prayers be made for all those in leadership. That they may come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you have this eternal life that Christ wants to give? Do you have this abundant life? Have you become free in Christ? The, the chains of sin fallen off. I was in Sunday school this morning and with the brother who was teaching on, on uh, Romans and he said, some of you here have been saved for many, many years. I begin to think back. Okay, let's see how long was that. It was came up with 43 years ago, if I did my math right. I'm getting old. Some of you have been saved for many, many years. God has given you that freedom. Because you've placed your trust in him. Have you done that? And you have that freedom. Maybe you're here and you don't. Today can be the day, and this Independence Day, the day that you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And finally, what are you looking at to make you happy? This world can't make you happy. And there's many more things we could fill in the blanks in that we won't get into, but people look to all kinds of things that make them happy, that they think will make them happy. Someone asked the oil, uh, for sake of a better term, the term, the oil magnet John D. Rockefeller wants. They said, what would make you happy? He had earned millions, if not billions, in the oil industry. They said, what would make you happy? His reply, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. What are you looking at to make you happy? To give you the peace. Jesus Christ is the only one that fulfills. Nothing else can fulfill. A good job, that doesn't make you happy. Say, I'm happy. Are you really happy apart from Jesus Christ? Only he can make you happy. That good job that thinks makes you happy, what happens when you lose that job? Unexpected. What are you looking for for your happiness? I hope it's Jesus Christ. I hope it's putting your confidence in Jesus Christ. Because nothing else satisfies but Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time we've had together. Thank you for these people. Thank you for Pastor Hall giving this opportunity. And we do pray for his quick healing, recovery. From your surgery, we pray, pray that you'd work there. We do pray for our leaders all the way from our president on down that you would do a work in their hearts and their lives that they would come to a true knowledge of Jesus Christ and govern then accordingly 
I pray if there's even one here that does not know you. They, they don't, they've never experienced this, this life-changing life that you can give and the freedom that you can give. I pray that today would be the day they do that. If there's someone here that maybe they're saved, but maybe they're looking for happiness in the wrong places. Maybe they've drifted away from you. Maybe today can be the day that they change their focus back to you. Thank you for the time together. We pray your blessing upon our closing here now in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a minute, I'm going to ask the pianist to begin playing. I, this altar is always open. Uh, if you would like to come and meet with, with uh, the Lord alone here at the altar. If you'd like to someone come show you from the Bible how you may be saved. We have men and women here that would be happy to do that. And I'd invite you to come forward or see me after the service, see someone else from the church after the service. And I'd be happy to show you from the Word of God how you can know that Jesus Christ is your Savior.